Good morning, everybody. So now we're getting back into First um, Corinthians here, and I just want to remind you a few things about it before we get in. Remember this, in Acts 18, Paul establishes the church. So Paul knows who he's writing to. He personally knows these people. He, he's only baptized a few, but he, he was there for about a year and a half. He was in Corinth for about a year and a half. He was in Ephesus for about three years, as Mike told us last week. But I want you to see, and so what's happening is, again, it's a metropolitan city. It's filled with paganism, just like most of the Roman world was, um, and everything is going on. And what we find in this church is a lot of the culture, the Roman culture, is still part of their value system and part of their identity. And what we're going to look at today, this morning, is really uh, they've lost their identity, not in the world where we're supposed to lose it, but they've lost it in Christ. And that's why Paul closes in that last verse there, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And when I read those verses, I feel like Paul is telling the Corinthian church, remember who you are. Do not forget who you are. So in the first six chapters, what we've gone through is um, the problems that are going on in the church. And these are things that were reported to Paul by Chloe. He says there, and I think about Chloe, one part of me thinks like, you tattletale, you're narking out the church, you're ratting on your friends, you know. But Chloe loves the church. And I think in her mind, she lives, she knows what Paul and Apollos and Peter taught. And she's like, we're not living this out. And if this continues, these divisions, this compromise with sin, this acceptance of lawsuits, if this continues, we're not going to be a church. So I'd rather you guys hate me, right? Rather than, and by telling you the truth, than by accepting it and letting us, this church fall apart. And I was was listening to a debate um, by two men, and one guy's, the one guy's um, response to truth was, well, that can hurt someone's feelings. You know, what about, why can't you just be nice? And the guy responds and he goes, if it's for being nice or truth, I choose truth. And I think Chloe, she's choosing truth. And that's why she brings up these things. So we know this much. There is divisions, right? Remember that? Some of Apollo, some of Peter, some of Paul, some of Christ. And Paul's like, no, that cannot happen in this church. The other thing was what? Chapter five, they're boasting in someone's sexual morality. This, this young man, it seems, had his fathers, he was, he was dating or living with his stepmother, and the church was boasting in it. Like, they thought it was so, like, we're so free. We're so free. And again, keep that in mind, because I think that's part of the problem. They have a misconception, a misunderstanding of what freedom in Christ is. They, they've come to their own conclusions. Again, allowing the culture, the philosophical thought of the time to, to interpret how they're going to live out their Christian faith. We're going to talk about that. What, we, what um, was read to us this morning, Steve read, was lawsuits. They were taking each other to court. They were taking each other to court. And the end of this chapter, again, sexual morality. He's going to get more into that. So again, these issues are revolved around the Roman culture and social practices. Paul says of this church, it is still worldly. Essentially, they are still thinking like people of Corinth and not people of God. I want to say that again. They are thinking like people of Corinth and not like people of God. Now, if we were to apply that to ourselves, right, what would that, what would that sound like? We're thinking like Californians and not like people of God, right? We're thinking like Southern Californians, not like people of God. 
we're thinking like, you know what I'm saying? It's like all of a sudden the value systems that we live in become our identifying marker when in reality our identifying marker should be the values of the kingdom, right? Generosity, humility, love, forgiveness, compassion. These are the things that should exemplify the Christian life. Humility, sobriety, right? Self-control. These are the things that should exhibit the Christian life. But in the Corinthian church, Paul is saying, man, you guys are still worldly. And this is what he says back in chapter 3, verse 3. He says, you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? They're acting in the flesh. And there's a couple things that Paul says about these guys. He says what? They're immature, right? Rather than being mature. They're carnal rather than being spiritual, and these issues are really going to come out in the text we're looking at today. So they're more carnal, living in the power of the flesh, giving into their desires, their pride, their ego, their lust, rather than what? Submitting themselves. And I want to emphasize that word. Submitting themselves to the Holy Spirit. Because as we know, if, you're, if you've walked with God at all in your life, there's a desire in you what? To please God. There's, and it's God-given. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But then there's this old man in you going... Oh, just one time. That's not a big deal. Come on, that, come on, just, just give in just a little bit. And what happens is that little bit becomes more and more and more, right? And we lose that sensitivity, that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. His voice becomes less clear, and our minds become more corrupted. And again, because we're allowing the flesh to dictate. But keep this in mind too, and I want to give you this hope that we all have also. Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 1, to the, church, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. So I love how Paul, again, he's like going, hey, again, we're talking about identity this morning. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ because you're part of the church universal. So let's, look at, let's read it again, what, what Steve read to us this morning. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, in, in such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Again, th- th- they're going to court they're tearing apart the fellowship of the body. You know what's really weird? I've seen this happen in the church so often. I remember my old church, there were two brothers that had a contracting business, right? And they had, like, they had a shop. They had um, you know, uh, a storefront for their contracting business. And somehow one of the brothers left 20 bucks on the cashier, on the cashier. And when he came back, the 20 bucks was gone. And he accused his brothers of stealing 20 bucks. You know, they didn't talk to each other for 15 years. They took each other to court to, to break up the contracting business. They went to court. And these guys, and they went to my church, by the way. <laughs> they helped build the church. But I want us to see something. When we allow, when we don't come, and like I would go to, like, say, one, the elders in the church or to the men and women that I respect saying, can you help us? Can you help us, like, navigate these difficulties? And I'm going I'm to tell you guys something. If someone was to do that, would you think they were right on or would you think they're weird? Be honest, because my brother, my father-in-law had a business partner that they were fighting, 
and, and he goes, and they were both Christians, and my father-in-law goes, let's go to the church. Let's go to the pastors of the church and let us help them navigate. And I, as a young Christian, go, you need to sue him. You need to take him to court. You need to, take him to, you need to get this legally done. And he goes, no, Armando, I'm going to submit myself to the word. And of course, his partner's like, no way. And they had to go to court. But my father-in-law's attitude was so right. He's like, I'm a Christian. I'm going to do it the way God wants. And the thing that bothers me, even now as I say that, that is what's unique about us now. Not, that's like the exception, not the rule. And it shouldn't be, especially brothers and sisters in the church, especially for small claim stuff, right? I'm going to sue you. That's the world. That's not Christ. And Paul was, again, Paul was like saying their problem is their misunderstanding of their identity in Christ and their behavior, the behavior which identifies us. It's not what we say we believe. It's how we live that shows the people what we believe, right? Because that's the problem. The Corinthians are like, we're Christians. And Paul's like, really? Yeah, we believe in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He died for me on the cross. He, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. I believe. And Paul goes, you sure don't look like it. You're sure not acting like it. And that's the problem that we find here as they mishandle disputes. They're living like their old selves, forgetting what they were saved from. And in, their, and in, in the name that they are, in name, they are Christian. I want to say that again. In name, in name, they are Christian. But in lifestyle, they live like the world which they were called out from. So in name, they're taking the name follower of Christ. But in lifestyle, they're living like everybody else in the world. And if they continue to live this way, what does Paul say? Do you not, do you not know that those who act like this and live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? So Paul's not playing around here. I want us to, and again, I want us to feel the weight of our conduct. I want us to feel the weight of our values. And what is determining our behavior? Is it a dependence and reliance on the Holy Spirit? Is it a submission is it a submission to what we understand in the Word of God and who Jesus is? Or do we still come out our life in the flesh and in fear and in hoarding and in trying to control? Then we're going to be in trouble. So let's go look at the first part. What do you know? Paul says, or do you not know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul begins with what? Rhetorical questions. He's like, come on, guys. This is obvious. I'm going to give you an easy one here. I got an easy rhetorical question for you. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know this? And Paul uses this, this, this line of questioning, this rhetorical questions throughout the book. Why does he do it? Because he wants to remind them that they should know better. You already know this. You already know that this type of lifestyle is what you got saved out of. Why are you still living that way? You know the answer. And again, remember what you've been taught by me and by Apollos and by Peter. You know, um, Mike was talking last week, and he was talking about the all-star lineup that the, the Ephesian church had. Corinthians had the same one. Ephesians also had the apostle John. I don't know if John ever got to Corinth. But come on, Apollos and Peter and Paul? I mean, come on, who, who else is going to be better than that? But again, and I, I always say this to people, I don't care how big the church is if we're not living as the church should. If we're not representing Christ as the church should, then does it really matter? Does it really matter? No, I don't think it does. But you get a small group of people, like maybe say 12 guys, that say, I'm going to follow Jesus with my whole heart, and that 12 becomes 120. That 120 becomes 5,000. And that 5,000 invades the Roman Empire, not with arms and swords and shields and bows and chariots, but they, they fight it in the power of the Holy Spirit and turn it upside down. That's what Paul's saying for the church to be. Again, one, one commentator said they had two of the greatest teachers in the history of the church. 
two of the greatest. We all like Charles Spurgeon, right? Even though he was 100 years ago, we, I still read his devotion, morning and evening devotion. He's the best. Read his sermons. I don't ever want to preach again. I really get irritated. I'm like, how can you be so good all the time? All the time. For, and again, for like 40 years, it's not like it's just a lucky message. Everyone is profound. And I guess on top of it, he was funny, which I, you know what I mean? But Paulus was the first Spurgeon, man. This guy was eloquent, poetic, powerful. And this church had both. Paul is the theologian of the church. Doctrine. You can't get a better one-two punch. And yet, they just don't get it because they're not living it out. And Paul says, so what's the question? Do you not know that wrongdoers? Do you not know that unjust people? Do you not know that people who practice evil will not inherit the kingdom of God? And what's the context? Brother taking brother to court. Paul says that's evil. And the thing about it, I really think about it in these terms. You have one guy that has the power and the punch right? I remember, I remember reading this. I had a friend of mine, she got in a car accident on uh, the 15, and um, State Farm, I'm going to say the name, State Farm Insurance, it was easy. She got rear-ended, right? We all would say, who's at fault? The guy that hits her. They're like, no, you're both at fault, and we're not going to pay your claim. And I read, after she told me, and then she was struggling, she had to get a new car, blah, 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 and she was telling me this, and then the next day I read an article in the paper how State Farm said, if this was their practice, they're, they're going to fight the little guy. That means you and me, because we don't have the money to fight them. And they're going to pay out the big corporations. Why? Because they have the money to fight them. They know that we can't win. They know that. So they're like, good luck. Take us to court. Go ahead. You're not going to win. You don't have the money. It's not worth it. And they know that. She, and, and that's exactly what happened to her. And that's what's going on in the church. Paul said, look what he says. Look what he says again. Back here. I want you to see this. He says this. Speaking of these guys, he says, verse 8, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. You wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So there's some guys in these church, and they're wolves. I would say that. They're wolves, and they're like, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. I'll con you. I'll, I'll sell you property, you know, in Florida swampland. It's great property. Oceanfront. It's amazing. All kinds of wildlife, Florida alligators, right? <laughs> and we just imported some Burmese, Burmese, you know, uh, python snakes. Beautiful. You ever seen one? I'll, I'll give it to you for a song because you're my brother, man. I like you, right? Anybody that's that sweet to me, I'm like, I don't trust you. My dad was a salesman. I don't trust you. I don't trust my dad. I don't trust you, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Paul is saying these guys that are wrongdoers, that are unjust, people who do evil, he goes, they're not inheriting the kingdom of heaven, guys. Do you not know that? Do you not know that? And I want us to keep this in mind, because that, that phrase, entering the kingdom of heaven, Paul doesn't use it that often in his letters, right? I, I would challenge you, tell me how many times Paul uses that phrase. But it's a phrase that Jesus used a lot, isn't it? And I want you to remember these three things about entering the kingdom of heaven. Three things that Jesus taught us. Number one, you, what, what? you, must, be, you must be born again. What does that mean? You got to be born of the Spirit. You got to be born of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Another translation, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Number two, Jesus says this in Mark 10, 15, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. So again, what was the problem with the Corinthian church? They were carnal. To be of the kingdom, you have to be spiritual. They were immature spiritually, right? 
but Jesus wants them to be childlike spiritually, trusting God. Because here's the problem. The reason we sue each other and the reason we want to take people to court is that we want to control and we want to take and we want to have, right? But what we have to do as Christians is give those desires to God. And we got to put our trust in Him like our children, when they were small, put their trust in us, right? They sit at that table. They're not even questioning that mom and dad are going to provide for them, are they? Unless you're poor. My kids didn't realize how poor we were at one time. Thank God. If, we, if I had a Little Caesars pizza for them on a Friday night that cost, you know, 10 bucks, woohoo, pizza. And I'm thinking, pizza, Netflix, it's family movie night. Now they'd be like, we don't have any money. We don't have any money, right? That's why we're having Little Caesars now, you know? Yeah, we don't have any money. We're, we're hurting to get by. We're paying the bills, though. But I want us to see this. We have to have the childlike trust in God. And the last thing is this about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, and this is a scary one to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what is he saying here? Obey. Obey the Lord. Obey what you know. Submit to what you know. Again, born again, childlike faith and obedience to the Lord. These are the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to understand something. Paul says next, he says, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. And, and I want, look at what he says there. He says, um, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And my question as I read that was, who's deceiving them? Again, Paul and Apollos, um, Peter. I mean, come on. Okay, is it their teachers that are deceiving them? No. You know who's deceiving them? The person they look at in the mirror every day. They're deceiving themselves. And, and I was, I was, um, there's this thing I was watching, and it's on uh, superhero villains. If you're into comic books, it was like, you know, uh, all the villains in comic books. And I was just, I watched it this day, I watched the trailer, but the one thing they said is, a villain never believes he's doing wrong. A villain always believes he's doing right. It's Superman that's doing wrong. It's Batman that's doing wrong. It's Spider-Man that's doing wrong. I'm here to fight against that oppressor. And I'm like, Wow. What a trip, right? They don't think they're doing wrong. And so often when we deceive ourselves, what are we deceiving ourselves? What I'm doing isn't wrong. What I'm doing is okay. I found someone on the internet uh, that agrees that my, my choice here is not sinful. It's, you know, it's love. It's, you know, it's, it's my choice, but I, I love God. But remember their problem, in word only are they Christian, not in practice. So this, this idea, do not be deceived, it means don't be misled. Don't be led astray. Uh, it means to wander. It means to be made wander in an active sense and to be led in a passive, a passive sense. And I believe this, you guys. I don't know about you. How often have, have your emotions betrayed you, right? How often has something you wanted so badly betrayed you, promised you something, didn't deliver, you deceive, we deceive ourselves into it. It would seem that there were some in the Corinthian church who have professed to be Christians, but it's a Christianity that's a system of doctrine, a system of philosophy, right? This is how they're deceiving themselves, but not as a way of life. And I wouldn't even say a way. I don't like that phrase. It's the way of life. Not a way, not something we kind of come to and choose to submit to. No, Jesus said what? I am. Did Jesus say, I am a way? I am a way. No, he said, I am the way. So when we talk about our faith, we're following Jesus. 
I like what Chris said last night. Our discipleship to Christ, we live out in our communities. And that's what the Corinthian church is failing to do. They're not living out their discipleship in Christ in their community. And this is where it really becomes real. It takes on a power and a life all of its own. It becomes beautiful, and the world can't, it's inexplicable to the world. They just don't get how we love each other. Like, how can you guys love each other? Well, because we love Jesus first and foremost. And that love is evidence in our love for each other. And, I, and that's, I really want to emphasize that as we look at these guys and what they're, they're going through. And remember what he says there, um, that they, their practice, in, in word only, not in practice, are they Christians? Now, what, and I want to say this too. We do not inherit the kingdom of God by refraining from sin. I want, I want to say that again. We do not inherit the kingdom of God by refraining from the list he gives. That does not save you. Jesus saves you. We prove, though, that we are in the kingdom of God and on the way to his kingdom in heaven by the godly life that we choose to live. And this life is only possible by what? Let me ask you guys that question. What would you say to somebody? What gives you the ability to go, on, keep on this trail, keep on this pathway, keep on the narrow way to the kingdom? What would be the two things you would say? What do you think? I'm not going to give the answer. Yes. Wow, Steve, I'm so proud of you right now. Grace, right? Grace. If I took away grace from you, I say no grace for you. Can you continue to walk? Heck no. Bye. So long. Sayonara. See you later. No way. Grace sustains us. But what else? Who else, I should say? There's your hands. Who else? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. If I was to take away the Holy Spirit, I'm not even looking for the kingdom. If I take away grace, I don't have the ability to even walk towards the kingdom. But with these two things that God gives us, himself and grace, man, we're going to continue on this path. And remember what Paul says in Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? He's like, no, again, there's his rhetorical questions again. Of course not. So we still, we give grace and we receive grace. But again, this list that he gives us right now, he said it back in verse 511 too. Same list. I think with one add-on. But it's the same list. But what I want us to understand is because I don't sin doesn't make me give me the right to go to heaven. I don't sin because I'm on my way to heaven. That stuff has fallen off me. I'm repenting of these things. I'm asking forgiveness from these things. I'm asking God to give me victory over these things. And if I fall, I gotta get up. I gotta get up. I can't give up. I got to get up. And so often what we do is that we give up. Oh, I'm just, I just can't get over this sin. It's like, man, I, I'm not lying to you guys. Whatever I tell you, I tell myself. I've had guys come into my office and they're confessing to me. And I'm like, hey, brother, do you repent? Yeah, man, then receive forgiveness. You confess, he's faithful and just to forgive. You need to get up. Get up. Repent. Okay, you know, they go. Then when I fall and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a piece of trash. Oh, I'm a piece of garbage. Oh, I'm just unworthy. And it's like in my head, it's like, yeah, get up. Repent. Receive grace. Keep walking, Armando. I'm like, okay, I will. All right, Armando. I'll listen to you, you know, this time. But I want to see something about this list that I find very interesting. Again, a lot of this is actually, you know, has to do with sex. And remember this much about paganism in the ancient world and even paganism today. It hasn't changed. Same spirit, same liar, same deceiver is behind it. But when you, go to, when you go to like a place like Pompeii 
and you see a city that has been encapsulated by debris, right? By dirt and mud, and, it's in, and you go to their Temple Mount. You go to Israel, if you guys want to go to Israel, go to the Temple Mount, and you see, you, you can imagine Herod's Temple, or even better, obviously, Solomon's Temple. But when you go to Pompeii, and here's the thing about the Romans, they put little, they put little Rome everywhere. A Colosseum, an aqueduct. Temple mounts, uh, you know, uh, magistrate center. That's in every Roman city. You're going to have the same things. But when I was in Pompeii, and I've shared this with you before, they have these massive temples, right? To you know, to Jupiter or Saturn or Venus, whatever, Paphrodite or Zeus, whatever you want to call, right? But always when this massive temple, there's like this little little temple. And I remember I, <laughs> I was I kind of started tagging along with a tour group. I wasn't part of the tour group, but I'm like hiding. That's one good thing about being short. I can hide. So I'm like hiding behind this group. And the guy goes, any questions? And I'm all, you know, I got a question. He's like, yeah, how can I, I go? The little room off to the side. What is that? I mean, all of them have it. He goes, oh, that's where the prostitutes were. You do your sacrifice, and then you go into the, the brothel, literally, and then you have sex with a temple prostitute. And I'm like, I mean, it got me sick in a way, because when I think about church, I think about holiness and, you know, separation from that. And in the world of paganism, it's part of their worship. Think about that just for a second. And it's blatant. It's not hidden. It's not a secret. It's not hush-hush. It's like, hey, hey guys, I'll be over here if you're looking for me. I'm going to the other room, literally. And it freaked me out. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, wow, it was that bad. Yeah, it was. And so when we look at these sins, it's actually, to me, it's the fruit of this pagan worship. They haven't left it yet. They're still giving themselves to it. And here's the thing about, I think, for us as Christians, and this is where I think we deceive ourselves. I would never do that. I would never go, oh, those people, I can't believe that, homosexuality. Oh, oh. Well, what do you fall into, brother? Gossip? Self-righteousness? What makes you so good? Because I don't think it's Jesus, because I don't see Jesus coming out of you right now. I see self-righteousness coming out of you right now, and that's not, oh, you're a Pharisee, good for you. So before you get so, you look at these things and think, oh, never, hmm, better be honest with yourself. Because I don't think, when we go through a list like this, it's a terrible list, it, we should never pat ourselves on the back because we're not on the list. What I ask myself is, what is my list? That's not pleasing, to, am I unloving, toward, am I unforgiving? Am I uncaring? Do I even care for my parents, right? Because I know a lot of Christians, man. I remember George Lopez, it was funny when he made a joke. He's all, you know, one thing about Caucasian people, they take their parents and they put them in an old folks home. Not Mexicans. We put them in the back room and throw food at them, you know? And I was like, I was like my dad was living with us at the time, and I'm like, it's not that bad, but he is in the back room. And we, but we do invite him out for dinner, Right? We invite him to come and join us. He would t- here's what my dad would do. He would take the plate from the table. I'll be in my room. And he'd go back. I'm like, whatever. I'm done. I tried my best, right? But I want us to see this list. So again, it's fornicators. The word is what? Pornos, pornography, right? That's where we get this from. And I think it's because pornography in our spirit causes us to fornicate, right? Or commit adultery in our spirit. And that's how it taints us, and it, that's how it, it corrupts us. Sexually immoral, anything outside of marriage, any sex outside of marriage, any sex outside of marriage is, is this. It's, it's sexual immorality. It's a heavy one, man. In our culture today, believe me, among our young people, among my family, it's like there's just no fear 
And, I, and, I, and when I say I mean a godly fear, and what I mean by that is a fear that I want to please God. <laughs> I don't want to do it this way, even though my body dragging me. Man, I really want this. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, oh, it's like, God, give me, give me grace not to. And if we blow it, I was talking to a young man yesterday. I said, I know you've blown it. Stop. He said, but it's hard. I'm like, yeah, you open Pandora's box, brother. You open Pandora's box. He goes, what does that mean? I'm like, it's hard. You're not, it's hard to stop. He's like, it is. He goes, but I, I want to do that. Praise the Lord. But again, we want to be pleasing to God. We want to be pleasing to God. Idolatry. Talked about that a little bit. But one of the guys said this, a guy who likes his electronics more than God or a gal who likes her shoes more than God or your garden or your collection or what you give your time to or the, the persona you're on, on in your social media. Oh my gosh. Think about it. And again, it's, it's our idolatry. It's where we get our affirmation from. It's make, what makes me feel good. I had a young man at a church. He was serving. And um, I asked him, hey, why weren't you at the guys thing last night? Oh, I was playing a, I was playing my, a video game. And he's, they're a gamer. He's a gamer. And I'm, oh, really? Oh, well, good for you, man. You know, I'm really gentle and very supportive. And he goes, well, hey, man, what did you do last night? And I'm like, I was praying. <laughs> I was praying for the service today. He goes, I slayed a dragon. He's a gamer. He slayed a dragon. I said, wow, you slayed a dragon on your game. Good for you. If you pray, you could slay a dragon in the spiritual world, though. Just throwing that out there to you, brother. And he's all, good one. You got me. You got me. You got was a good one. But I'm like, what are you spending your time on, bro? You feel called to the ministry? Then give yourself to it. Give yourself to it. Stop playing games. You're not like a boy anymore. You're a man. And he was like, he was kind of funny. He's like, okay, you got me. You got me on that one. Adultery, self-explanatory. Homosexuality, again, male who submits to homosexuality or who is aggressive in homosexuality. And these things, again, they get kind of graphic, and, but Paul, this is what Paul's dealing with in his culture. Has anything changed? I'm going to say this to you. There is no such thing as the good old days. There's no such thing. This is 2,000 years ago. And Paul's like, he's, it's all around him. He sees it everywhere, just like we do. There's no, the only the difference is it was hidden to us before. Now it's out in the open, but it was always there. We just liked it hidden. You know, I have a buddy of mine who has a place out in Vegas, and I was saying, how is it out there, you know? I haven't been out there in years. And he goes, Ron, it's so terrible now. And I'm thinking, <laughs> talk about Vegas. And he's saying, it's so terrible now. And I'm like, how much worse can it be when it's normal? You know what I mean? I've been there. You, you got to kind of gotta get blinders on and get to your restaurant. You don't want to look at anybody or anything. He goes, Armando, the prostitution is right on the main drag now. He goes, the girls, the pimp is with them on the main drag. I'm like, what do you mean? He saw right by Caesars, man, right by the Bellagio, right there. And he goes, and these girls are being trafficked, trafficked right there, and the police can't do anything about it. And I go, come on, bro, it's that bad. He goes, Armando, I don't even go anymore. He goes, it's that bad. Again, and this is what was going on at the time of Paul. It's no different. But we are different. We are different. Now, here's the one thing I wanted to see. So, you know what it says, revilers, there? It means those who are verbally abusive. Now, here's the thing. You might, you're, he might come from a physically abusive home or a verbally abusive home. Right? Or maybe you are verbally abusive and you think you're better because I, I, don't, I don't touch my kid. But do you speak poison into your child? 
do you speak poison? And it is poison. It is. I was, t- you know, we were talking about sin. And we look at it usually in two dimensions, don't we? Sin I commit and sin that's committed against me. Those are the two ways we look at it. But there's another type of sin. It's the sin and how it affects you. The shame that it gives you. Like Tamar, remember Tamar in the Old Testament? One of the most hideous stories in all of the Old Testament. There's some pretty bad ones. Raped by her brother, David's son, his oldest son. Rapes his sister. And remember what she said? Did, now, did she need to repent of anything? She was the victim, wasn't she? But did she remain unstained by what was done to her? What did she say to him? Where will I take my shame? Where will I take my shame? And so we were talking about this at school. The sin done to you. My dad never hit me. But man, he let me know what he thought of me when he was angry. Every day. What a loser I was, terrible son I was, and every profanity you can imagine. Where I just got desensitized. And Amanda, as he would be at my table sometimes, start putting me down. I couldn't even hear him anymore. I'd just keep eating like, whatever. And Amanda would get mad at me. How can your dad talk to you the way in front of your kids? And I'm like, oh, I'm just used to it. I don't even think twice about it anymore. She's like, you need to. It's a terrible example for your children. And I'm like, oh, I just, oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Uh, I don't know what to do. And I said this to her. We're Mexican. My dad can do whatever he wants. He can say whatever he wants. That's just how we are. Not in my house. And if you don't do something, my little Sicilian bride, and if you don't do something about it, he's going to be sleeping with the fishes. You know what I mean? Like, he's out of here. And I'm like, okay, uh, what, do I, what do I do? But again, it's the sin done to me. And I did feel shame. And I did feel broken. And I did feel worthless. I'll be honest with you. It had its way with me. But I, when I read that, I was like, wow, we don't look at that. Like verbal abuse, we've talked about it more. It's damaging to somebody. It is. I'll be the one to tell you. It's very damaging. And I'm working through it now. So if you do that, and you do that to your kids, and I'll say this to you too, guys. It might not be cursing. It might not be putting them down. But manipulation is terrible too, man. I've talked about this before, where we manipulate our children to get them to do what we want them to do. You think that's any better? Because manipulation, what does it do? We bring shame. We shame them gently. Oh, ever so gently. If you love me, you would. If you, oh, if you cared about me, you would. If you, it's like, man. I mean, just even saying those things, that's exhausting. And you carry that. You carry it. That's verbally abusing. That's a reviler. That's a reviler. That's the sin of the flesh. So we need to repent of these things. We need to. And I, and I, keep, I want you to keep this in mind again. Extortioners, that would be the last, that's the first part of chapter 6 there. This guy, they're, they're taking people to court, probably on trumped up charges, right? On fabricated things, just to get what they had, to take what they had. That's a swindler, that's a, that's a cheat, that's a cheat. Now, I want to keep this in mind, too. Paul would say this in Galatians 5.21. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, all, these, all things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who, what, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practice means lifestyle. Practice means lifestyle. You might lose your temper. You might do something foolish. That doesn't mean you're practicing it. I was looking at it this way. You know, um, you know I, when I played baseball, I would... 
throw the ball against the wall as hard as I could because I was a third baseman. I hated that position, but I played third base. I don't know why. Most of my, most of my, my baseball career, and I would practice and practice and practice and practice, and I would say most of the time I got the ball, but many times I got a few black eyes on a bad hop, right? I was practicing. doesn't mean I'm perfect, right? But we practice righteousness. We practice holiness. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in it, but we do not practice sin. Do you see the difference? We do not practice. It doesn't become our lifestyle. We repent of that. We know it. Why? Paul tells us, because such were some of you. So that should humble us, and that should remind us what we were saved out of. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Such were some of you. You're not that person anymore. You've been set free from that. You might have been taken captain for a while, but now you're free. You might have fallen for a little while, but now you're up and walking. And one chapter in your life does not make a life story. I want to tell you that right now. We see that with all the Old Testament saints. You might say, Abraham's a liar. He was, but he was a man of faith. Oh, Noah got drunk. He did, but man, he built an ark, <laughs> right? We can go through the list. Joseph had some residual effects, uh, what his brothers did to him, but he was a forgiving man, right? We can go through the list. Jacob was a hill catcher and deceiver. Yeah, but he's a prince with God, so I want us to see that. That's who we were. We might slip sometimes. That's not who we are. Who are you then? Who are you? You were sanctified. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I love what the mess, how the message translates this. It says, a number of you from experience uh, like, know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he says, a number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. What? The list. The list is what he's talking about. He goes, for not so long ago, you were on the list. Since then, you have been cleaned up. You've been given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us, the Spirit. That's who you are now. That's who we are now. I love this. You were washed, and it literally means to take a bath, both figuratively and spiritually. Remember what Jesus tells Peter? I've got to clean you up, Peter. Not just my feet, my whole body also. Just your feet, Peter. But before that, what does he say? If you only wash your feet, you have no part of me. Why? I really believe this, because you don't think you're dirty. That's a big no-no. Oh, I'm not sinning. Well, I don't need that. I don't do that. You're dirty. Why? I could smell you, okay? You know, it's so funny. My, he's, my son, he won't be here. When he was small, I go, we would say, go take a bath. Take a shower. He'd take a shower. He'd been there for about 20 minutes. You hear the water. He would come out, and he'd be all wet, you know? And I look at him. I go, Sevy, did you use soap? He'd go, no, but I sat under the water for a long time. I go, dude, you got to use soap. Your hair still has dirt in it, you know, because he was small. Your, your feet are still dirty. Your hands are still dirty. Well, I didn't know. And I'm like, how did your mom and I bathe you as a kid? We used soap all the time. Okay, so I got to use soap all the time? Yes, yes. Do I got to ask Jesus for forgiveness all the time? Yes, yes, he'll clean you up. Don't act like you're not dirty. You are, and you don't want someone telling you, Okay. I had, a friend, I had a friend in Europe. Um, she couldn't smell. She couldn't smell. So guess what? She smelled terrible. 
In the summertime, it is humid. You're sweating all the time. And she was beautiful gal. And she would come around and be like, like, like where are we going to go? I'll say a quick hi, and then we're going to move on. Finally, her roommate couldn't take it anymore and just asked her straight up, why don't you wear deodorant? Well, I don't need to. Yes, you do. Straight up, you smell. I mean, humiliated. She was so humiliated. But I'll say this, within nine months, she was married. So, hey, maybe there's a little something going on there. I don't know. But again, we want to wash away the dirt. We want to wash away the filth. We have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. He says sanctified. I love this. It's a supernatural event and a passive voice and is so-called divine passive. God carried this, out, carried this action out by setting them apart from the profane to the holy. From the profane to the holy. This is what God does. Charles Ryrie, the great theologian, says this. Sanctified means to be set apart for God's use. You're set apart for God's use. Three things. He says positional sanctification. Possessed by every believer from the moment of conversion. That's positional. He says progressive sanctification. The daily growth in grace becoming in practice more and more set apart for God's use. Ultimate sanctification, a.k.a. glorification, attained only when we are fully and completely set apart by God when we enter heaven. I love what um, I believe my first quote is by, um, I think it's by Char- uh, Oswald Sam- Chambers. He says, that sanctification is not my idea of what I want God to do for me. Sanctification is God's idea of what he wants to do for me. Do you hear that? God want, See, God takes Israel out of Egypt from the house of slavery and bondage to the house of freedom, not to be slaves, but to be what? But to be what? His children, his prized possession, the apple of his eye. Think about that. From the house of slavery and bondage to a house of freedom to be his special people. We're no different. We're no different. And again, this is what God wants. He wants me to be free. He wants me to be cleansed. He wants me to be holy. And he provides the way to do it. Because we are. We are. Justification, what does that mean? means a believers are reckoned as righteous through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Justified. Again, uh, this, is, this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this. Justification is the new creation of the new man. And sanctification is the preservation until the day of Jesus Christ. Again, justification is the new creation of the new man. You're new, people. You are new. You are new in Christ. You're a new creation. You are special on this earth. You are unique. You're so unique because God dwells in you. Because you're the the apple of his eye. And he's telling, don't forget that. It's almost like, you know, my, we had a French bulldog. Have you ever had a French bulldog? They are full of personality, but they are rebellious and they're honorary. That's why I like them. Now, I was the alpha in the house. Amanda wasn't. So the dog was scared of me, and he should have been, and he obeyed me. But with Amanda, he's like, anything goes, right? So we would bathe him because he was, he was white. He had a little black spot. His name was Napoleon because he was a French bulldog, and I like uh, French dictators. And um, so Amanda would take him for a walk after he was bathed. What do you think he did? Oh, he'd find the mud puddle. And he would look at her. He would look at her. And he'd be like, 
And she's like, get out. She'd be crying. She, she'd trying to get him. He's running around, rolling around in the dirt. He'd find a pile of poop. He'd roll around in the poop. And then she would come back. And I would come back all happy from my walk with him. She would come back just exhausted. He won't a baby. He won't do anything. He just he finds the mud pile. He finds the other poop, and he just rolls in it. And I think, I know some Christians like that. Right? I know some people that just want to go roll back into it. But that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. Be free. Be who God's called you to be. Remember. Because I'll be honest with you, I remember when I was saved how good it felt. The guilt, the guilt was gone. The burden that I carried, sin no longer had me. I was free. I was free. And I loved that feeling. I still love it. God wants me to experience that every day. Not 30 years ago. But today, I want to close with this of the Corinthian church. They were a new people with a new moral code, a new mindset, a new worldview, a new family, a new inheritance, and were under a new authority, and they had new authority. Why would you want to go back? Why would you want to live like the world? Be people of the kingdom because that's who you are. You know, like I said, you can go to any place in the world and the one thing you're going to find out is that you're an American. You can't help yourself. And they know you're an American <laughs> most of the time. By the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we act. Wouldn't it be cool if the people here in Fallbrook knew we were Christians by the way we talk and by the way we act? That's what God wants. Let's prepare our hearts for communion and uh, we'll take it here in a second. Father, we come now, we ask your Holy Spirit to, Lord, um, search our hearts.